0: The Project project. Kuwait. Learn. 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 Lift. 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 What up, Meg?
1: Hey. All right. So today we get to talk to Mary Sheila Ganella, who's a board certified holistic nutritionist and the owner of Occidental Nutrition
0: totally blew me away with adaptogens, cordyceps, gut membrane pathways, amino chains, and the bro science of protein and protein is more as good. Dude, listen to the episode. You're going to find out a lot from this episode.
1: Yeah. I think a great breakdown of how to honor the rhythm of our hormones and our bodies Um, She gives a realistic approach of maybe some supplements and things that we're interested in and how often we need to be utilizing these things, taking some of the stress away of a lot of the big picture of all the puzzle pieces that go into our health. So amazing episode. Loved it.
0: And if you enjoy the episode, don't forget to tell your friends and family to listen to this show and leave a rating and a review on iTunes and you could win a t-shirt. In fact, M. Hatter, you have won a t-shirt. So enjoy, guys. Amazing. All this and more in today's episode.
1: Hey, guys. Welcome to The Project. Today, we are joined by Mary Sheila Ganella. She is a board-certified holistic nutritionist, and her company is Occidental Nutrition. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Before we uh, kick off into some of the nutrition talk, I would like to know, what is Occidental
2: Nutrition? Good question. So Occidental is actually the little town that I live in, in West Sonoma County. And it's a really lovely little town. It was founded by Italians, uh, my husband's family being one of them. And it means of the West. So it's the opposite of Oriental, which means of the East. Yeah,
1: yeah, we were, yeah, we're right are way off. We were just we debating were way about that. Off yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I know. <laughs> the kind of thing where I couldn't think of exactly what to call my business when I started, and I had a little office in town. And I thought, well, let's just keep it simple for now. And
1: yeah, I so. like it. It makes sense. I like the little history behind it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. All
1: right. So you do call yourself the queen of all things nutrition. So I'd like to know a little bit how that came about and and why you've claimed yourself that. I know
2: I put myself on a throne. (laughs) (laughs) And I never thought I would do that. And, but you know, I did. And the reason why I did, and I have to say, when you're in business for yourself, you have to really claim that space and have the mindset of success. And that really was helpful for me. But more than anything, why I called it that is because for seven years, I was a teacher at a nutrition college. So I was teaching people like me who wanted to become nutritionists and who wanted to you know step into the field. And when I started teaching there, you know, I taught a few different topics and then I just kept teaching different topics. And the pressure to be able to stand up there and try to give them as much as I could was real for me and I really put my heart and soul into that job and you know, I came in there so prepared every time I taught. And it just gave me such a foundation. So it's that idea that if you really want to learn something, teach it. If Mm. you teach it, you are going to know it inside and out. And so it just got to this place with my teaching. My students would always say, you know everything. How do you know everything? And I thought, well, I don't know everything by far, but I know a lot. And I think when you really know your subject, even if you don't know the answer, you can kind of talk about it in a way that. Helps to peel the onion or take away some of the layers. So I think it was just that when I was just reflecting on a lot of that feedback, and I was sort of giving myself a little more of an expert title, and it's just what came. And I really resisted it for a while, and then I said, "Well, what the heck? Just just be the queen. Step into it. Yeah, yeah,
1: that works. I think that is really important, though, because. When you say that, yeah, a teach. If you really want to know something, to teach it. I think it's because it holds you accountable to become actually the student <laughs> of that subject. So yeah. you're constantly researching, and I think that's the thing I get that from people too. They're like, "How do you know so much about all these different things?" And really, for Maddie and I, it's interviewing, you know, experts and researching things like this. You know, we start to become somewhat of an expert in the fields just by you know absorbing the the information and, and seeking it out and just knowing where to go and how to research it. So I think that's a huge. That, like everybody has access to this. It's just, you know, who really wants it?
2: <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah. I actually, I actually awesome. have, I have a quick question for you. And I think this is a good way to kind of kick it off. Um, what are some of the issues that you see with modern day nutritionists and what they're learning in school? I mean,
1: yes. since
0: I've graduated university, a lot of what I learned was just so obsolete within like a year or two, especially in my field, I was a marketer. So what is it like in the nutrition and the medical field? When it comes to that, especially nutritionists, we, in Kuwait, they're popping up all over the place and they charge premium prices. And what are some of the issues that you see? What can kind of be fixed within the educational system? I know it's a loaded question, sorry.
2: <laughs> no, that's a good question. I work in a medical clinic. The doctors there, they don't have the training. They have their own healthy habits. So there is still a lot in the medical community that doesn't have the training. And then there is the maybe the dietitian path right? The path, the university path through nutrition that is still somewhat can be fueled by the powers that be in the more the USDA uh, standard and the pharmaceutical standard. And you can see that reflected very easily. If you have a friend in the hospital and you see what they're eating and being fed and, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is it's terrible thing. So I know. Ugh. Right. Especially when you say, oh, wow, they're in here for this and they're eating that. These Mm -hmm. are the opposite of everything I would tell them to eat if they were my client, right? And then there are, you're right, there's, there's a lot of programs now, certificate programs, mainly for the holistic realm of nutrition. I think a lot more of that happens to be more cutting edge because it's, kind of also going with the times, a lot of them are very specified of, you know, know, an ancestral program or a holistic program. But what I'll say is, I think being in this field, you have to stay on your toes. And I I personally have been in it for about 12 years. There are times where I drag my feet to the newest fad. And then I get there and I'm like, okay, I get it. It makes sense to me. But because my background is really in holistic nutrition and the way that, that we talk about it sometimes is sometimes people need more of a building diet. Sometimes people need more of a balancing and some people need more of a cleansing, but it's all within food. so I could say, oh okay, they need more cleansing, maybe you know less animal protein for a little while and less heavy fat and more fiber and greens and all this and then sometimes people need more protein, they need to rebuild, they are healing from something. So it's about really staying on your toes and it reminds me of a few years ago, <clears throat> it's probably five plus years ago, one of my students said, paleo had just really hit the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And she said, this is it, isn't it? Like, do you really think it's going to continue to keep changing? And I said, well, yes, only because when I first started, it was raw vegan. Yeah, And then it was this, and then, it, and I just keep seeing it change. I don't think it's ever going to be static. So I think that's the thing is that we have to be open and we have to know we can never stop learning. We have to pay attention to the science and that's really what makes it this really dynamic field.
1: Yeah. But my first diet that I got into was after being a college athlete and it was that shift from college athletics going into like a work nine to five <laughs> lifestyle, I'm no longer training 30 hours a week, <laughs> and, you know? Can no longer eat six thousand calories a day and be okay with it. <laughs> it's like yes. But I did the zone was the, the first one. And then paleo came out as you mentioned. And then it was zone paleo together. And then you know, I just kept going from there and there. And it just kind of spiraled this whole like yo-yo dieting thing. And I think the important thing that I at least learned going through that, I don't regret trying out all these things because I think I learned a lot about myself in the process. I mean, there was a lot of damage and things that, you know, were done through some of them, but in the end, it just teaches you to be aware. And so I liked what you pointed out of like the building, the balancing and the cleansing with all of these things. You know, I think a lot of people look to a cleanse in order to help heal themselves from something, but understanding that your body naturally has that cleansing system within it. And the way you enhance that is through your food choices and there's whole real food. And I think that's what paleo, you know, the big thing with that and why she probably felt so passionate about it is just, that it was pushing the good whole foods that people needed to get on board with. Because what I noticed in your bio, you put a really good point in there of growing up in the seventies where you guys were, you know, the Guinea pigs of that fast, convenient, cheap nutrition that was pushed as, as healthy at the time. So that's taken a lot of, of reversing, I think for people to get back to just like the whole fresh foods is where it starts.
2: Yes. And just learning how to kind of cook again and, and right. changing the relationship. A lot of people lost that.
1: Yeah. So I guess going along with that, like what it means to have a holistic perspective when it comes to healing, why is it that we can't just rely on, on one thing for that in the holistic perspective?
2: Yeah. You know, it reminds me, I had a a client who I was working with, a older woman who had had a diagnosis of osteoporosis, right? So one way we think about osteoporosis is take calcium, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, my bones are deficient and I need more calcium. Well, if you were just going to think about calcium in your bones, you could think of calcium as maybe the bricks. Like if you were going to build a brick wall, you would put the bricks, but if you didn't put any mortar, then you the bricks the brick wall could fall pretty easily. Yeah, right? So that's just one little piece. So when I look at somebody that maybe has deficient bones, fragile bones, they are likely drier, right? So their constitution is drier. So I want to look at, wow, do they have enough you know, fat and lubrication and all of that. I also want to make sure that they're getting enough of the nutrients of all the mortar that the bones need, right? Everything that the bones need to build is their inflammation in the body, right? Because that's going to halt any of those nutrients getting from where they need to go. How's their hormones, how's their thyroid gland and their blood sugar balance and any inflammatory markers, all of these things are going to play a role and. Are they super stressed out? Are they exercising? Like there's a whole, we have to look at every aspect of life. What are they sleeping? Okay. When it comes to the bones, you want to look at everything, right? All the pieces of the puzzle of somebody's lifestyle. So I bring this story up just because when we worked together for a while and then she came back after going to see her doctor and her doctor said, you know, her tests showed that her bones were actually better than they had been. Maybe. And she said, I just want to know what it was that I did that made a difference. <laughs> I said, it was everything. It was yeah. everything. It was all the pieces of the puzzle. We have to remember that if I don't sleep well, I'm going to wake up. My adrenals are going to be more amped up and stressed that day. That is going to, that means I have higher cortisol. What does higher cortisol mean? Well, I might be craving more sweets and sugar that day. I may yeah. make different choices than I really want to be making for myself. That higher cortisol, even if I go to exercise might impact my m- muscle breakdown, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, high cortisol over time can even thin the lining of my gut and that. Might mean that other bugs or pathogens or anything, they're more opportunistic in that situation. So they might have an opportunity to come in and do their thing. So there's just a lot of repercussions. High cortisol over time isn't good for the brain as we're aging. So one thing leads to another. And so if we look at, oh, that's just from maybe not sleeping well or going to bed too late, what about the foods that we're eating, right? And the quality of the foods we're eating, really, right? Right. Some people, you know, there's so many different ways that we're eating now and that we're doing things, but a lot of it comes down to the foods that we're eating. What's their quality? Are they prepared properly? Right. Because that's a lot of what our ancestors taught us is, wow, if you're going to eat those grains, you better soak them and sprout them first. If you're going to eat those beans, right. Same thing with nuts and seeds. And a lot of times people are eating tortillas or something, which there's no way that is processed properly at all. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
1: So how do you, uh, I guess, in working with somebody and and giving that approach where you're talking about all these different things that matter, you know, how much you sleep, how much water you're drinking, what you're eating, how you're moving, you know, all these things like that can overwhelm a person and it can, you know, get them to the point where it's just like, it doesn't really matter what I do, you know, something's going to be off. So how do you, I guess, you know, educate or or coach that with your, your clients to keep them from getting overwhelmed?
2: Absolutely. A big part of that is if you want to make changes in your diet and your lifestyle and just how you feel and your energy, you have to remember one thing is that it took a while to get to where we are today. So we might have a whole life of, eating and moving and being a certain way. And suddenly it's kind of caught up with us and we realize we don't feel so good. Then we want to make some changes. So the fact of making changes is something else that's going to take a long time. It's not an overnight. I tried this for a week and it didn't work. I mean, I've heard that so many times. Well, I tried giving up gluten for two weeks and I didn't feel any different. Right. Well, it's not just the gluten, right? And, and even that healing is going to take time. So when I work with people, I don't work with them for just a one consult, give them everything and have their eyes glaze over and send have them to like, way. yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. It's a process. And so many of the things that we do, our habits and our behaviors are so emotionally linked to who we are. It's our, right. It's, it's how we grew up. It's what's comfortable to us. Mm -hmm. It's what comforts us when we're feeling uncomfortable. So we have to kind of unwind so much of that. And so when I work with people, it's like, Hey, let's work together for six months. That way I can just, we can work on one thing and then we can work on another thing and another thing, and we can just keep going. And it reminds me of that Aristotle quote that I really like that says excellence is not an act, but a habit. Yes. Right. It's about what we're doing every single day. If if hydration is not your thing and you're that person that's like, ah, I drink like a glass or two a day, like I just forget. And you know, then it's how do we set you up to actually start drinking more water? Well, number one, you know, get a water bottle mm-hmm. because that is key. I think, at least it is for me. To my That's success, what helps with, me. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's <laughs> but I don't know, my, my water bottle. Like, security blanket all day. You know, like where's my water bottle? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel better. <laughs> yes.
2: And then, um, and then, if even having a water bottle, some people. I mean, most of us have our phones with us. I, I'll have people set timers you know, and I'll have people set timers in between their meals, not at yeah. their meals. Cause sometimes yes. that's the only time people remember and yep. drinking too much water with your meal. is not the best.
1: I just had this conversation with a group of women. I was leading an um, online workshop with a group of women in Hong Kong and sleep and hydration are like the number one and two things that I, Talk about first with people because <laughs> we were doing it every day to some degree. But um, most people, that's where it can level out a lot of issues. But a lot of them that have the hydration, you know, struggle with that. Is talking about different ways that you know maybe flavor it with some, you know, lemon slice or maybe a little fruit slice or something in there to make it a little bit more exciting for you. Carrying around a water bottle for sure, and then. Yeah. The, uh, other one of not drinking too much during your meals because that can impact your digestive enzymes and everything. So what's, I guess a little, do you have a little science behind that of what that impact does when you drink too much during the meal?
2: I'll just explain it how I usually explain it, but I love that we're on the same path that two things I've talked about sleep and hydration. (laughs) (laughs) So if one of the things I like to think about with your stomach is your stomach is a pot. It's going to be what cooks your food. It really liquefies your food and turns it into what we call chyme. And the first part of the stomach digesting is we build up a little bit of the mucosal layer which is kind of protective from all those acids that are going to come out. So when the acids come out, they are strong, but we don't want to dilute them. And that's the main thing that water will do is it will really dilute those juices. Because what happens in the stomach is the most important part or I mean every part of digestion is important, but one of the most important things is that in the stomach is where our proteins begin to unfold. And that unfolding then allows the enzymes in the small intestine to really start to break them apart more. So if you think about it, one simple way of thinking is if you had a long pearl necklace, right, that was all connected, and the pearls are like the chains of amino acids that are all strung together. And ultimately, and the amazing thing that we do in digestion is we take all of those amino acids. We break them all the way down, and then we restructure them and turn them back into us so that those proteins get, the aminos get broken down and then they get restructured and in the liver and turned into whatever body part we need to continue to rebuild, which we're always doing. So in the stomach, if you imagine that long chain of amino acids coming from our proteins, it's like we're breaking them into little bunches and then in the small intestine, they're being broken down into individual So as soon as you add a lot of water to your meal, then those juices are totally diluted. You're not going to do as much unfolding of the proteins. And sometimes it can also make us way too full. And that Mm. too much fullness is going to also, it's not going to allow what the stomach has to do, which is mechanical and chemical digestion. So mechanical being the muscular contractions of the stomach moving to continue to let all those chemical breakdowns to happen. Right. And so things will just sit. And sometimes when they sit too long, instead of that downward motion that we want, things will come up. up. So a lot yeah. of times that might even contribute to things like heartburn and GERD, and Absolutely. that's really uncomfortable and really damaging to that tissue.
1: Yeah. That's such a, I love that analogy of the, the necklace that makes it very simple in breaking down what's happening with the, uh, the acids. So how can you ensure, I guess, during the day, the rule that I had always kind of heard was two to four ounces every half hour can ensure that you go into your sleep, your workouts, and your meals hydrated. I guess, do you have kind of a, a rule of thumb around that? Or do you have a, a amount that you prescribe to people in, to ensure that?
2: And you said two to four ounces, which yeah. is sort of like sipping on water all day, which yeah. is... Actually really pretty good, yeah I mean I usually like to tell people try to have you know four ounces or less with a meal mm-hmm. and if you're thirsty and then it's good to wait you know maybe ninety minutes or so before you start drinking more water again after if a meal get, after a meal exactly okay. and if you get real thirsty like after a meal, have a few sips of water and just don't guzzle your whole Go water ahead. bottle. Yeah. And then what's nice about that is I'm a firm believer in, you know, eat your meal and then wait and then eat your next meal. And and ideally we should be going four to six hours between meals without feeling super hungry. If somebody tells me, gosh, I'm hungry an hour later, then that's a clue for me that there's some blood sugar issues. Yeah. So if we could go four to six hours, which it makes it perfect. Cause if you go four to six hours then you can hydrate in between there, you know, yeah. and then Eat your meal, you know, and I'd say hydrate up to probably a half hour, 20 minutes before a meal, you know, even having a little bit helps kind of liquefy and get the stomach ready for digestion. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a great rule of thumb, the two to four ounces. ounces?
0: Okay. So I I got a quick question. You hit on a couple of points. I kind of save all my questions for like a little (laughs) into the episode. And um, I'm going to ask you some of the bro science questions. Some of what we get a lot of at the gym and from the athlete perspective. You hit on something really important with branched-chain amino acids and protein intake, and you always hear, right now, I think, amongst the gym-goers, protein is king right now. And you have to consume and consume protein, protein this. Now, first question is, are BCAs or branched-chain amino acids the same as you know a protein powder? You know What are the differences between them, if you can answer that? And second of all, the excess protein. I mean, how much... Po- does our body really need a protein, even if we are breaking it down in the gym?
2: So, sorry, it's, a, it's a pretty amin-
0: loaded question, but totally. <laughs> I, hopefully, I can answer it,
2: but I'll do the best I can. Branch chain amino acids are just going to be a few of the aminos that are there's so many of them, and there's just a few of them that do help with protein synthesis. So, they're specific in that protein synthesis. and. You know, what's interesting is some protein powders can um, actually raise insulin. You know, so I think there's that whole idea that they can convert to glucose. Sometimes it could be how much do we need? How much do we not need?
0: So would that be a specific protein powder that converts to glucose? Because that's not the first time I've heard that. I've heard that before that excess protein just converts into glucose, which then in turn kind of just it's sugar basically at the end of the day.
1: Well, that's an issue that a lot of people going the keto route run into is that yeah. they don't pay attention to the protein intake because eventually that's not going to keep them in ketosis. That's going to <laughs> kick them out.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there is that idea because if you know if somebody is in ketosis, the protein numbers should come pretty far down and then the fat intake comes up. Mostly I've heard about that with whey protein um, over maybe some of the vegetable proteins, but whey protein is much more, I don't want to say traditional, but it's just had a longer shelf life with us using it as opposed to the vegetarian or the vegan proteins or vegetable proteins. So as far as like how much protein do you need, right? And I mean, honestly, I think one of the things, if the protein that you're going to be eating is going to keep you in the zone you want to be in, like if you're in ketosis or not, or if it's raising your blood sugar, I mean, everybody's going to be different. So I think ultimately, if you really wanted to know, you'd have to do some testing. You'd have to probably test your ketones and test your glucose and see, well, what is happening when I'm eating these foods? Because some people, they can process that stuff and come right back into the zone that they want to be in. And other people, they're going to eat the same thing, but they're just more maybe carb sensitive. And even those extra, extra proteins turning, converting to glucose can make somebody way more sensitive as well.
1: What testing methods do you recommend? I know there's some of like the genetic ones that are out there. Like, is that like the 23andMe stuff? Does that stuff kind of help figure that out? Or is it more specified of like going to a holistic nutritionist and specifically, you know, taking- Yeah. I mean, if you
2: really wanted to just see that, those things I just talked about, even just Mm -hmm. having a glucose Testing your glucose with a little prick, and then testing your ketones—that would be a really simple way to do it. And then, as far as the metabolic picture, gosh, how? What is my metabolic picture? You know, genetics would be great <clears throat> to see if you have that genetics of being more prone to being diabetic. If it runs in your family, that's a great way to just know right offhand if you have diabetes in your family. The shape of your body is another one. If you have you tend to hold more weight in the belly, have the thinner legs and the bigger belly. That's another big one too. And then the other things to look at when we look at that whole picture of how well you tolerate carbs, that's where we can also look at all the metabolic pieces on a regular standard lab test. So if cholesterol is, has been tr- challenging, if there's kidney issues ever, or just even high blood pressure. High triglycerides; those are all going to be showing signs that the the metabolism is sort of in distress from what we're eating. If that makes sense. No, that
0: definitely does. Yeah, that, I, Matt, did, some of that went way over my head, but some of it, <laughs> some of it, I'm going to have to look up <laughs> later on. But most of it, I understood. And and going back to from a normal person's lifestyle to, we have a lot of athletes that listen to the show also specifically crossfitters, powerlifters, some strong men listen to this show also. So what are some of the things that they can study in their lifestyle as opposed to the normal person? Some of the things you were talking about the normal person would have to look at over a six-month period. What could they look at in a shorter time to sort of aid in their recovery process? Because that's the buzzword in fitness right now is recovery, recovery, recovery. And food. I mean, plays a huge part in that, whether you eat too much or eat too little. So, And it does, from what you said, depend on the person. But what are some of the factors that we can look at to help us come up with a a good solution per person, so to speak?
2: Yeah. I mean, anytime we're thinking about recovery and when we're thinking about what's happened that we need to recover from, a lot of the recovery, I would say, and you can add anything in here too, is from oxidative stress. Right there's a lot. The muscles are breaking down. You know, we're going s- certain length of time exercising, and that creates a lot of byproducts that the body has to process. So I would say one of the the main things that is going to come from food would be from fruits and vegetables, ideally, and and food being more raw than being cooked. Not that you have to eat all raw food because. But as far as just get, you know, making sure you're getting a lot of those antioxidants that come from fruits and vegetables, we do get more like a lot of times those things, they kind of oxidize as well when they get cooked. So having a plate full of food, but having some of that be raw is going to be really good. So would blanching it
0: kind of count, you know, where you kind of dip it in so that you can still break it down a little bit easier? I've heard raw food can be difficult for the stomach to break down. Meg actually told me about that, where you can have fiber, but not too much fiber. And then if it's too raw, then, you know, it's tougher and you know, we always go back to bowel movements and it, you know, it gets tougher and you get constipated and so to speak. So, would blanching it kind of work like a quick cook and then put it on your totally. plate?
2: Totally. Yeah. I mean, yes. And I, and I, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge like raw, raw, but like if you had a nice salad and you, you know, if you had some kale on your plate, like I'm a fan of cooking it over having that raw or yeah. having your broccoli cooked, but having some, th- some fresh stuff on there too, some fresh. Fruit colors, too. You know, maybe you have a little pepper or some cucumber and, you know, whatever, just different raw vegetables kind of mixed in there as well to whatever you're eating. But yes, I am a fan of cooking as well, too. And then, especially some of those foods, because they are easier to break down and they, you know, like the fact of the cruciferous family, right? They have something in them called goitrogens, which can kind of block thyroid function a little bit and slow things.
0: Down, down, cr- that's not, cr- not, cruciferous not. family. I didn't even say that. Right. What is that exactly? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, I'm the yeah, jock totally. of the group. Just so the you cruciferous know. <laughs>
2: family is, is a family of superfoods, really. It's broccoli, kale, cauliflower, arugula, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, mustards. There's probably a few more I'm forgetting, but they're in a family of vegetables that they're excellent for helping to detoxify the body, especially excess hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also, uh, they're t- super anti-cancer. They're just, they're great foods, but too much of them raw is not a good thing. So yes, those are ones we definitely want to be, you know, sauteing or blanching or cooking however we want to cook them.
1: I've also heard uh, a little bit of like lemon, um, like lemon juice or something on them can help break that down a little bit easier. Do you have any insight on that
2: vinegars <laughs> yeah. or,
1: or, uh, lemon juice?
2: Yeah and I mean one thing I think about with lemon juice um because I haven't heard that but that might be because I know you could do like a cold cook where you do like a massaged kale salad or something yeah. and and that does it is definitely going to help break it down um and then even if you were doing like cooking some spinach spinach has a lot of the oxalates yes. and the lemon juice or the vinegar actually helps to negate those as well yeah yes okay and um and the other thing I want to just mention about when we want to um, recover and repair the body, and the other big piece that's really important, and I guess I'm going to kind of talk about raw again for a second, but is our fats? So fats and fat soluble vitamins are huge players in the an- and as antioxidants in the body. So they're going to help repair things. And you know, think about fats as being real lubricating, right? They're they're there to sort of aid in that way. But the thing about fats is they can oxidize fairly quickly and. You know, you can think about if you cut open an avocado and it starts to turn brown, right? That's oxidation. So fats are bound by oxygen. So they're susceptible to heat, light, and air. So as soon as you start cooking your fats, you actually start to oxidize them and they're not going to have the same benefits as they would if they were raw. So that can play a big role in helping to heal things because the thing that you have to remember is every single cell has a cell membrane and that cell membrane is made of fat. So the quality of our fats is going to determine just even on a cellular level, the health of every single cell. And if it's, if the, if that fat is sort of fluid to allow things to come in and things to leave easily, it's not rigid. And that's also how all of our tissues communicate. So, you know, like our bicep community of cells are going to communicate with, you know, other cells in the body via the cell membrane. So it becomes really key. So that would mean if you're cooking and sauteing something up, you want to use the fats and oils that have a higher heat, which would be more of the saturated fats. Mm-hmm. And then you want to keep your unsaturated fats more on the raw side. So if you're going to do a saute, you could always drizzle some really good olive oil on top of your saute. Yeah. If you are going to eat nuts and seeds, eating them raw versus roasted. And if they are roasted, because sometimes roasted just tastes really good and it's, what you're making, you know, what it, is it dry roasted or is it roasted in an oil? And if it's in an oil, what kind of oil is it in? Because when you start looking at those oils, sometimes they're sneaking a lot of industrial oils into mm-hmm. our foods. Like if you get some nuts and seeds that are roasted in cottonseed oil, well, that's an industrial oil. That's going to have a lot of pesticide residue and who knows what else. And it's kind of snuck into our food system.
1: That's so important. Cause as we talk about that a lot of like, where are you know, things disguised as healthy. <laughs> and where is it being being hidden? That's a huge one. And I think it's also important going back to the raw vegetables and the importance there, along with that. So many of the nutrients that we can pull from those vegetables are fat soluble, right? So in order to actually absorb them, like you're saying, get them into the cells, we need you need the good, good raw fats. So that makes exactly. a lot of sense out of the fat thing. I think people are starting to become a little less on the the fat fearing fat side, I think it's gaining a little bit more traction. Thanks to things like, you know, even keto for bringing that up, you know, a little bit more, but yeah, I think to, to give some good insight on what to be aware of with that is really helpful because I think then people just kind of go down the road of eating all the butter, all the nuts, all the bacon, all the, you know, whatever it is, and not really paying attention to, to some of those quality issues within that. So thank you for bringing that up. That's very, yeah. Awesome.
2: And, and I just, you know, I think even with the keto realm <clears throat> is to, you know, go keep, if somebody's going keto is, you know, gre- really making sure there's a lot of greens in that keto. So mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's key. Because even though you're gonna get, you know, your carbs there, it's fine. We need some we could still have some carbs and you could yeah. sell some carbs. So on they're ketoo, essentially but... free foods. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good, yeah. And they're gonna have all of those benefits and they're gonna, you know, and they're gonna give you that fiber, which is gonna help with the poop, right? So we yeah. just we need it all. <laughs> yeah. Amazing.
0: I, qu- quick question about carbs. I mean, carbs I think have been demonized over the last like three years, and they've been demonized so bad that so many people are staying away from them. Uh, Can you just talk about how important carbs actually are? Because when I went low carb, it was like it was night and day with my workouts. It was complete night and day. And I knew my body was missing something I couldn't figure it out. And then I was like, shit, I'm only consuming like 100 grams of carbohydrates as opposed to what I was consuming three weeks ago.
2: yeah. Totally. And, and that's the thing too, I think is like knowing your body and knowing how you felt when you, when you did the opposite, especially if you're working out a lot, right? Because if your, if your cells are really used to fueling on what carbs gives us, which is glucose, then you're going to, Thrive that way, right? And if you have gotten yourself into more of a ketosis state, right, where you're not using the carbs, but you're burning fat for fuel, then your cells can get used to that. So it's the kind of thing where, you know, you can train the body one way or the other. And it's not necessarily that one's better or more negative than the other, right? And it's true. We have been, you know, carbohydrates have been part of the human diet, you know, for a long time. (laughs) And I like to break carbs into two groups. So I break them into the starchy carbohydrates and the non-starchy carbohydrates. So the starchy carbohydrates are the type of carbs that have glucose, right? Which is sugar, and uh, they are all of our root vegetables, and all of our winter squash, and all of our beans, and all of our grains, and you know nuts and seeds have some as well too. So so all of those things really ultimately are seeds. So that sugar that is stored in those seeds are for basically, you know, the next generation, right? So in grains and beans and, and root vegetables, right? All the sugars are all connected to fibers. So it's the process of digestion that then allows us to break apart the fiber from the glucose. And then we start to absorb, right? And that takes time. It takes digestive teamwork. It's a process. And slowly the glucose just kind of trickles into the bloodstream, insulin notices, we are in our blood sugar raises or our, our pancreas notices, we create insulin and then we bring that to the cells and that is the energy for our cells. And so that's a pretty good process. Our body knows very well how to do that. It's also glucose is fuel for the brain. Um, and then there's also, and, and I think why carbs get so demonized is because those same Products, right? So, if I had like a wheat berry and I soaked it because it's a pretty hard berry, I soaked it first and I started to sprout it, and then I cooked it and I made a wheat berry salad and I threw some greens in it and whatever, all kinds of yummy things and nuts and seeds. I can make a delicious wheat berry salad, which is completely different than everything else that we have from wheat. Otherwise, what's going to happen is I'm going to take that wheat berry and I'm going to throw it into a mill and I'm going to separate it and turn it into a powder. But what I'm doing in that process is I'm separating the glucose from the um, fiber already. So as soon as I eat that, I am going to immediately have a lot of sugar into my bloodstream because it's going to absorb really quickly. So I'm going to have high blood sugar, high blood um, insulin, and my cells are going to get what they need. But if I don't need all that sugar at once, my cells are all, whoa, we're good. We have enough. We're full. So the excess of that glucose is going to go to my liver and it's going to convert it to fat to store it for later. So that's, I think, kind of why carbs are so demonized because we really know that that process can happen. So the more processed carbohydrates that we eat, the more we eat those, the more that that our cells become full, our cells start to become resistant, our livers become fatty, you know, like we start to store that extra fat. And that's what happens to a lot of people. When they are on the path towards diabetes, and you know, diabetes is also the path towards Alzheimer's and you know, brain degeneration. So it's and you know, inflammation in the body. So it's just and a lot more oxidative stress, like we were talking about. So there's such a big difference between having like a sweet potato or you know, some hummus or garbanzo beans or you know, a wheat berry salad than having tortillas and white rice, right? Those are the ones. So I think people kind of lump everything in one place, right? Where you can really get a lot of good benefit from the whole carbohydrates. And then in addition to the starchy carbohydrates, there's also the non-starchy, which is our greens. And that's not where the plant stores sugar. There's very little sugar there. And that is where we get a lot of fiber. We get a lot of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, just the idea that greens are green means there's magnesium there because Mm -hmm. the magnesium is at like the heart of chlorophyll. Magnesium is sort of like what, what iron is to humans. It's magnesium is to plants. So it's really, really a rich anti, you know, mineral electrolyte. It plays as an antioxidant in the body. So if you think about greens and they're also carbohydrates, mm-hmm. if you think about, um, a, like a kale leaf, sitting out in the garden, right? And think about on the middle of the summertime, it's a hundred degrees and it's just sitting there staring up at the sun. Totally protected because it's got all this built-in protection. Then kale does really well when it's snowy and icy, right? All this built-in protection from frost. There's all kinds of, you know, funguses in the soil and there's pests and there's bugs so much built in protection those are some of the benefits that we get when we eat something like that we get those protections so you know we need both and you know and again if somebody's doing keto they're not going to eat those starches but if you're not there's a lot of benefits that you can get from those root vegetables and grains and beans there's a lot of vitamins minerals and fibers in those as well
0: so you brought bringing up-,
1: up magnesium as far as recovery goes that's yeah a big big one for athletes too or anybody. But
0: yeah, I was going to ask, You you talked about chlorophyll. So I was going to say, you know, what about chlorophyll, spirulina, maca? I mean, are these three, like, are those really some of the superfoods that we should be including in, you know, daily intake? Because I mean, I went on a, a binge of, you know, experimenting with the stuff. And I I have to admit, I felt great. It was just getting in that routine of taking it every day and adding it to my diet every day. It was so difficult to remember that I just kind of, you know, when I looked at the expiration date, it was like expired. And I'm like, all right, you know, this is over and done with. But how important are those for us?
2: Yeah, I'm a food first kind of a girl. So if you're having a hard time getting a lot of greens in your diet, then the powders can be great. If you're already getting a lot of the greens in your diet, you might not need to, you know, buy the powders that sit in the shelves that go expired like you said. <laughs> I think a lot of people, I think that's very common. All
0: right, good. <laughs> Even with somebody like me. <laughs>
2: and you who's into health and all that, right? If we, if it's happening to us, right? <laughs> but I will say too, you know, having that as a part of our routine, maybe it's not something maybe taking the spirulina powder like every single day is not necessarily maybe we do it a couple times a week right as a part of a regular balanced diet and variety i think that is a is could be a great way to go and then something like maca is kind of an it, well it is an adaptogenic root vegetable actually and that it's very helpful for the adrenal glands which you know again talking about recovery we really want to support the adrenals right and the adrenals Also, they need the magnesium, they need the healthy proteins and fats and all the minerals and proper hydration and good sleep. Um, But maca is one one of those adaptogenic herbs that feed and nourish the adrenal glands, which, you know, again, are are big players when we're working out and just even if we're stressed out, they're like Mm. right there.
0: All right. is do you have do you have a specific protocol for taking some of this stuff if someone were to supplement with it and I'm not saying supplement but use the powders I think they're a little bit more natural in my opinion than the supplements especially the organic ones from a really good brand and you know that they're well researched is there do you have a special protocol like drink with cold water hot water mix it in a blender because um, I've heard some crazy stuff out there like oh you want to take this with olive oil so that it hooks onto that. So, or with pepper, I've heard like always, you know, add like black pepper to whatever you're taking so that it, you know, absorbs a little bit better. Is this <clears throat> true? Is there merit to it?
1: Turmeric, I know that's a thing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. turmeric is a big one. That's, yeah.
2: <laughs> that's the black pepper, right? Mm-hmm, yep. It's so interesting because there was a study that came out that talked about the effectiveness of turmeric needing to have the pepper to actually help with the absorption, right? Yeah. So again, this is where I want to just kind of come back a little bit to like food first, because people have been eating curcumin and curries forever, right? Mm -hmm. For 5,000 plus years. And getting great, you know, and using it as medicine, like in India. Right. And then we start, we catch on that it gets studied and it all of a sudden, you know, turmeric is the king and everybody's taking it. And then everybody's taking it as supplement forms. And then we, there's a study that says, Oh, you need black pepper. I love curcumin and turmeric. It's very hot. It's heating, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes too much heat in the body over time can be too hot and it can start to dry things out and create deficiencies. Right. I've had a few clients in the, and this happened. It was, it always happens in pairs or whatever. So I had a friend who said, Oh, I, you know, my knee's been hurting and I've been doing this stuff, but now I have all this reflux. And so we sort of deciphered, you know, went down and I realized, Well, why don't you stop taking the turmeric capsules that you're taking? As soon as she started taking, stopped taking them, her reflux went away. Then, like a couple of weeks later, (laughs) another friend, same, I said, Are you taking turmeric capsules? She's like, Yeah. I said, Okay, stop taking that. Right. So she stopped taking it and, everything went, and this is a thing I've you know, come to find out. It's a thing that not everyone can tolerate it. Same. And then just think about it this way. What if you made this like super delicious curry? It was so good and everybody loved it. And you had all this leftovers and you were like, yes, you ate it again the next day. And then maybe you had it like a day or two later, but then by then you're kind of like, yeah, I, I don't need to make, have any more of that. I'm good. And maybe you don't make it again for another couple of weeks or something. I kind of feel like that, you know, that's when food is our medicine. You had it, you craved it, you needed it. And then Mm -hmm. we kind of moved on from it. So again, with even the, um, the green powders and the maca powders, I would say, gosh, if you're feeling low and depleted, or if you're feeling a certain way, or if you just feel like you need a boost, like take it for, maybe take one bottle of it and then take a break from it. Like Mm -hmm. follow through with that bottle, with that, whatever you got, get what you need and then take a little break. If you feel like, gosh, I really miss it. I'm craving it. Well, listen to that instinct, right? So Um, this goes
1: along with when you talk about like moving with the the rhythm of your your hormones or honoring that rhythm. Is this kind of what you're speaking to then?
2: Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I think the more that we listen in that sense, um, the better. And it, it, it's funny because you're reminding me, like, oh, yeah, about a month or two ago, I bought a green powder. <laughs> <laughs> and I took it for a little bit and then I forgot. And I think there's sometimes a little bit of a wisdom, like maybe the body doesn't need it all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I talk about the rhythm of our hormones, we have so so I'll just kind of tell you my my thing about this because we have all of our metabolic hormones. We have our glands, and we've got, the hypothalamus, which is our master gland. And then it always talks to the pituitary. Mm -hmm. And so I like to call the hypothalamus is like the CEO of all of our glands. The pituitary is the manager, like talking to everybody (laughs) else, right? I like that. And then we've got the pineal helping us with sleep. We've got our thyroid gland, ruler of the metabolism, thymus gland, part of our immune system, pancreas, right? Helping helping us with blood sugar balance, our adrenals. And then, you know, women have their ovaries and men have their testes. So we've got all these glands and these hormones, and what they do is they secrete hormones and hormones are messengers. They move through the blood and they tell the cells to to do things, to take action. That's what keeps us balanced. We're all in different parts of the world right now, but as humans, we probably all have about the exact same body temperature, right? Mm -hmm. If we tested each other's blood, we all have about the same pH. That is what our hormones are doing to keep us safe and surviving in our environment. So it's the internal environment, keeping everything, our blood sugars, you know, probably all similar and our temperature temperature we go outside, whatever stresses are outside. So even stepping out into a cold environment, it's not really, it's not like it's stressful, but it's a stress that the body has to regulate our temperature, Mm -hmm. has to warm us up. If I get you know, a stressful email or I'm in a stressful situation, I'm going to say hypothalamus is going to talk to pituitary. It's going to talk to the adrenals. I'm going to release cortisol, right? If I'm cold because I'm going outside, I'm going to release thyroid hormone. What happens is, every cell has receptors for our hormones. It's going to plug into the cell. It's going to tell the cell to take action and do something, right? So we have, we have all of this happening all at the same time. So in the morning we wake up and our circadian rhythm, our adrenals are high. They come down and they're low in the afternoon evening. So we can go to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of get this like currency in the morning to get up and go here, here you go. In case you have any stress today. And then we kind of slumps down in the afternoon. We get maybe more tired. Sometimes we want a pick me up, whatever, but we can go to sleep at night. Sometimes people's rhythms are the opposite and they, everything's, you know, they get a second wind at night. So that being said, we want to honor those rhythms. If we know that cortisol is high in the morning and low in the afternoon, evening, and we stay up too late and we get a second wind, that's not really honoring that rhythm. And they all work together. They're all like a team. I call them their You have your own personal team of first responders, right? Yeah. They're there to help us to stay, you know, so we need to honor the work that they do. Cause we know if we, if a first responder stays out too long, they're going to make bad choices or they're, you know, they're going to mess up somehow. Right. And it's right. not safe. So one of the things that i talk a lot about is how we eat our first meal because cortisol has a rhythm like going up in the morning down and well insulin has a rhythm and same with leptin where it goes starts low in the day and then it comes up so we can honor those hormones with what we eat with our first meal which i like to say your first meal should be protein fat and fiber and mm-hmm. i wrote a breakfast report um, about it because it's, it's like explaining the whole thing, explaining the rhythm of your hormones. Even going to bed at a good time without having a lot of insulin before you go to sleep, that is... To make sure that when you go to sleep, human growth hormone comes out at night, right? And human growth hormone has, like, you know, depending on how many sleep cycles you have, has about four to five sleep cycles each night. So, how can I um, maximize
0: that <laughs> as, I'm getting, yes, as exactly. I'm getting older? How the hell can I maximize my HDH levels for when I am asleep, especially being exactly. a 36 year old CrossFitter that thinks he's 20?
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. So Human growth hormone can spike during your sleep about four to five times, again, depending on how, many, how much sleep you get and how many cycles you get. Each cycle is anywhere from like 90 minutes to two hours, right? <clears throat> the first sleep cycle, the earlier sleep cycle, like at night is when our hormonal system wants to kind of detoxify, rejuvenate, right? Repair. So the first sleep cycle, it has the potential to come out the highest. So that would be getting to bed closer to 10 o'clock you know, nine or 10 o'clock. So that first one is the biggest spike. Also eating three hours before about approximately, but not having a lot of insulin in your bloodstream. So not having, you know, a carby snack before you go to bed, keeping your insulin. It's like human growth hormones, all, uh, insulin's out. Mm-mm, I ain't coming. But so wait, it, I, I, human-
0: have a, I have a quick question. Sorry. Cause I do this a lot. I'll wake up and I'm just craving like Bread and peanut butter Like I'll wake up In the middle of the night And have a peanut butter sandwich And the other day I couldn't find bread Or anything And I literally Took a banana Peeled it Dipped it in the peanut butter Ate it You know Brushed my teeth Went back to sleep Why does that happen? And it (laughs) It happens so often, and I just think I'm a freak of nature (laughs) whenever it does take place. Now,
1: this explains some behaviors from my boyfriend as well. I'm very interested in this. (laughs) I'm like, how are you? Like, you were just sleeping. How are you hungry right now?
2: (laughs) Right, totally. Well, that's, you know, kind of sounds like a little bit of a low blood sugar swing in the middle of the night, which definitely happens. So again, here's our hormones keeping us balanced. So usually we're eating during the day. Then we let's say you go to bed around nine or 10 o'clock and middle of the night, three or four, three o'clock, let's say, you're actually having a blood sugar swing because it's been a while since you've eaten. So what happens is your again, your team of first responders is notices, oh, blood sugar's low. So you release actually cortisol from the adrenal glands, sends a message to the liver. And then the liver releases stored glycogen, which is glucose, but it's stored in the muscles and the liver. And your blood sugar comes back up and you're back to normal. So it could be that you are waking up from that, you know, the middle of the night, you're waking up, you know, when you're kind of in that low blood sugar swing and you're like, I am hungry. Okay. So... One thing I would say is
0: Sour Patch Kids next to my bed. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry, my wife's a power lifter. She lives off of Sour Patch Kids like when she's lifting,
1: so <laughs> only at <in> competitions.
0: <laughs> apparently apparently when she's working out all the time now. So <laughs> Oh, all
2: right. <laughs> it might be a little addictive. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> So I would say the adrenals could probably use, so, so that would be a case where it's like, well, maybe some of those powders would be good for you kind of during the day to kind of support adrenals a little bit. Also making sure there's good blood sugar regulation. Oftentimes that idea of waking up in the middle of the night becomes a, a rhythm for the hormones, especially the adrenal glands. And like, I know when we're, under more stress, or once the body gets used to waking up, all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's clockwork. It's three o'clock in the morning and I'm awake again. And now I'm hungry or whatever. Then all of a sudden the adrenals get into that rhythm. So ultimately we want to kind of get them, pull them out of that rhythm. And that definitely takes time. Just as an example, like I had a few years ago after the death of my father, it was just really stressful. Like It brought up a lot of anxiety for me. And I started waking up in the middle of the night, just And my mind would start going and, you know, next thing I knew it was two hours later. And then I, of course, for the first little bit, I just sort of wallowed in my sorrow. And then I remembered, wait a minute, Mary Sheila, you have skills, like you can fix this. So I use um, amino acids, which help to um, regulate some of the, or support the neurotransmitter pathways in the brain. And then there's also like actually a supplement. It's called Seraphos and it's phospholated serine and it can help calm down the brain and calm down the, <clears throat> excuse me, calm down the that response, that stressed response, that heightened response. So I started taking that right before I went to bed and, and I know that it takes a little minute for your our rhythms to switch. And so after the maybe the first week, I was still waking up, but I was only up for like a half an hour and I couldn't get to that you know, ruminating mind place. Mm -hmm. It was more like I was hovering, noticing, oh, you're awake right now. But I didn't necessarily stay awake and start to go into that anxious anxiety mode. And then after maybe another week, all of a sudden I was waking up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I said, okay, thank you so much, Sarah Foss. I don't need you anymore, but you're in my toolbox in case I need you again later. So it would also be, you know, looking at caffeine intake and, you know, sugar intake and anything else that can be stimulating to the brain, right, before I go to sleep during the day. That's
1: big insight. Especially when we just did a little episode on kind of caffeine intake in Kuwait. That's the the nightclubs at night as a coffee shop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, where yeah, people yeah. go for Every, entertainment. I, can, and I can't
0: believe people here yeah. still drink coffee till 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. And they're like, no, it doesn't it's, affect me. I'm fine. I'm like, dude, seriously? Yeah. If I have a coffee past yeah. 2, I'm not going to sleep till like 11 or 12.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And and some of that even has to do with your pathways of detoxification. So we have two main pathways and one pathway is breaking down the caffeine. And some people that have really like kind of efficient, really good pathways, they can break it down right away. So those are the people that can have the caffeine and go to sleep. Then yeah. there's others of us like no way. <laughs> we yeah. cannot drink coffee, you know. I'm like you, I can't drink it too late in the day either.
0: <clears throat> so you you talked about adaptogens a little bit earlier. What about cordyceps? What about that? I mean, how important are those? I typically like I'll have like a reishi tea sometimes. And you know, I'll just try to it calms me down a little bit. And it kind of it mellows me out for some reason. What about that? Like, is it important? Is it is that something we should try to include more in our diet to help, you know, calm our nerves or help with the adrenal fatigue that we go through?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say if you're working out a lot, and you, you know, and that's a big part of your life. Then that's when adaptogens, and even you know, like you were saying before, the green powders. You, you know, the more oxidative stress that you're kind of putting your body through, not that working out is negative, the more you're going to kind of want some of those things. And the really beautiful thing about about adaptogens in general, that whole family of plants, is that they help the body to adapt to stress, and they often. In I like to think of them having just this beautiful wisdom that sometimes if the adrenals are too heightened, they can kind of help bring them down. If the adrenals are deficient, they help bring them back up. So cordyceps is actually an interesting, um, you should look it up online, because it is a fungus that actually grows on insects, which is very interesting. And, but yeah, it is, it has been a one that is another one that really helps. So if it's kind of calming you down and it's mellowing you out, it's probably, you know, your adrenals might be kind of more heightened and it's just bringing it back into this like balance. So there's a lot of, you know, so sometimes even an adrenal blend will have some that kind of like licorice, can help to kind of boost cortisol a little bit. So it's sometimes nice in the morning when people are like, their adrenals are really fatigued and they just have a harder time getting up and going. I have a licorice um,
1: mint tea that I'm obsessed with in the morning.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a great thing. That it's a kind of energizing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the adaptogens are, I think are an excellent way to go for you know, bodybuilders or just CrossFit or whatever people that are working out. And I'll just say, so I have a background in Ayurveda as well. And if you, you know, and that's kind of the where that medicine comes from. And in, in Ayurveda, in India, they powder their herbs and then they put it into their teas and they drink so that when they drink the tea, you're actually getting the, the medicine. It's not just a tea bag. And there's a beauty to that in that you're actually then taking the medicine in. And so powdered form of herbs so if you're doing smoothies because you're working out and you're putting maybe, you know, sometimes like some ashwagandha or some cordyceps or whatever you're putting in, or if you're making a bone broth, like when I make yes. my bone broths, I put another one called called which is really good for the immune system. And I put reishi in there. Sometimes I put, well, I don't always put licorice, but I, seaweed, I put all kinds of things that I know are going to like boost my immunity and help my adrenals. Same thing with a smoothie. If I'm going to make a smoothie, right. Or some kind of a drink or a green drink, I'll throw the ashwagandha and the licorice root and whatever I want to put in there just to kind of give it a little bit more.
0: I was just going to ask you too, ashwagandha, because that's something I just got back on the trainer. Like I was like, all right, I got to start taking ashwagandha again, because it actually helps my my sleep, calms me down. It, it actually it really does a lot for me. Um, And I notice yeah. a difference night and day after like five or six days of taking it. But is there a better protocol than taking it in pill form? And I mean, I ordered the droplet bottle from a pretty good source, had really good reviews, and I've read it before that taking the droplets is better than the pill form.
1: I had my dad take the um, powdered ones, uh, like testosterone was, you know, kind of an issue. Yeah him a lot of health concerns and so we went for the the powder one and he was just you know mixing that in with yeah smoothies and things uh, uh where he could and there was a lot of success with that but i know my dad and a lot of adrenal repair and things like that for himself too he's Noticed a big difference going liquid forms of things versus pills um, for almost any kind of supplement.
2: Yeah, I mean, in the powder, it, there's you know a few benefits. I mean, powder will be less expensive if that's an issue, and it is just the powdered root, and you can put it in however you want to put it. I mean, you could even put it in as capsules, but again, it's that idea around like taking your food as medicine. Yeah. And ashwagandha is great. It's very warming. So if you ever notice over time, if you feel like, you know, you're getting hot or you're having any kind of night sweats or anything like that, then it might be, okay, let me back off on this for a little bit and then I'll come back to it. Because sometimes they, again, they can bring us back into normal and then we can, you know, take a little break. I don't know. I'm just a fan of ebbing and flowing. And sometimes when we naturally take a break, it's probably our body's wisdom that we're, you know, somehow I had a doctor say that to me once he is this very out there a hundred medical degrees, but like just brilliant, but on another very intuitive and does all this testing, you know, somebody that's not mainstream at all. And I went to see him and he, you know, through his muscle testing, diagnosed all these things in me and put me on all this stuff. And I had another appointment with him, you know, probably like three weeks or a month later. For the first two weeks, I was so into my supplements that he I got from him. And then all of a sudden it completely completely evaded my consciousness. I completely forgot. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to him. I had my tail between my legs and I was like, I forgot. I stopped taking them. I completely forgot. And he said, that's okay. You probably didn't need them anymore. He said, you know, this happens all the time. You probably got what you needed and then it just, you're good. Don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, okay. So
1: that is really comforting because I feel like I go through that too. I used to be on like, yeah, a certain kind of holistic plan. I don't know of all the the supplements and the things. And I, and I felt good at those times and then, yeah, you kind of dive off from it and, kind of get into something new or maybe you just take a break completely and I think that does help you get in touch a little bit more of being able to listen to your body and understand those deficiencies and cravings of what do those really mean you know for me so that is that is comforting to hear from
2: (laughs) from I know someone who is a holistic
1: nutritionist
2: oh thank you yeah that's why I like to tell that story it makes us all feel a little bit better about our little medicine cabinet (laughs) (laughs) yeah amazing thank you
1: Natty, do you have any other questions?
0: No, I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> still trying to like absorb everything you said. I mean, I know you are an this amazing has been teacher. major. And, yeah, this is this is like me attending a lecture at a university and yeah. like from the best professor because like there's just <laughs> so much knowledge that has come out that I'm kind of like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it makes yeah. sense why I crave meat so much sometimes, and why you know the other day I hate fish, and I was like, oh my god, I need fish for some reason, <laughs> and then I asked my mother-in-law if she could make me. Uh, zbedi. It's a type of fish that we have here in Kuwait locally. So it's it's so weird and it's comforting to know that our bodies are letting us know, hey, you know what? You need ashwagandha. There's a reason why I went diving into my medicine cabinet the other day looking for ashwagandha and everything else because I'm guessing, you know, I'm just hitting that adrenal fatigue or whatever and I just need it at this point. So thank you so much. I mean, it really kind of put the intuition and the science together, I would say. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, no, totally. I would agree with that. And I think it's pieced together a lot of topics that we've talked about before, but it's kind of put the little mortar in between the bricks, I think, of our information yeah. <laughs> that we've uh, had there. So I really yeah. like that. <clears throat> so we and, like to, oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, I was just going to say one last little thing. And, you know, one of the things too, I just brought Ayurveda in for a moment, but you know, one of the things that I teach with that is we are made of the elements, right? So we are, we are made of, of earth and we are made of water and we have fire in our body and we have space and we have air, right? So that's, so we're just like the outside environment. And so any of those things can come out of balance. And so one of the questions we want to always ask ourselves, a w- real easy way to kind of know, like, what do I need is, am I hot? Am I cold? Do I feel too wet or dry? And sometimes you might be like, well, I'm hot and dry, or, or I'm, you know, cold and wet, right? I'm see, right. and I'm sick and I'm, you know, so if we can start to kind of think about, I mean, we also have to know maybe what the foods are going to give us in that sense, but right.
1: But understanding, like, yeah, the environment within us is exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Amazing.
0: Yeah, I definitely that. want to bring you back on and just be I'd more I think to focused. talk more about that. Yeah. Talk more, <laughs> yeah. definitely talk more about that and talk more about the athlete's mindset and what athletes can do um, to maximize, you know, recovery and everything. I mean, I'm sure, you know, of Tom Brady, uh, you know, if, if you live in America and you don't know Tom yeah. Brady, you, you're like in space somewhere <laughs> and he practices the anti-inflammatory diet and you know which he doesn't eat meat and someone called him out and he's like look i'll have a burger if i want one but i just don't need one and you know the anti-inflammatory so i would love to have another episode with you and just bring you back on to talk about some of these things from an athletic perspective
2: yeah yeah anytime yeah
0: that's awesome. All right, we
1: like to wrap up our sessions with a little like rapid fire questions, just kind of a this or that. So I'll give you two choices and you just pick which one okay. sits with you the best. So celery juice or orange juice? Celery. Celery. Is there any reason behind that? Or?
0: <laughs> I'm curious well, too.
1: I and just now, I know, like, now I'm
2: like, but I want to know why.
0: <laughs> I ripped on it so much. Well, <laughs>
2: if, I mean, if, because when you juice something, and it's got that much sugar, you don't have fibers the buffer, and it's just going to go straight to the right liver to for the liver to have to process it. Love yeah. It.
1: Good, clean answer. Yeah. <laughs> Beef or chicken for life. If you had to choose one, me too. I mean, as long as it's grass
2: fed, and <laughs> sustainable.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Very yeah. good. All right. So you have to choose one paleo, vegan, carnivore, or keto. One for life. What would you pick? Probably keto. Keto? All right. Yeah. That makes me happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: that's kind of got everything in it too. So <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, explore the space or ocean? Like me. Yeah. Do you explore space or oceans? Ocean. I'm a mermaid. Ocean. So yeah. Yes, <laughs> and then Maddie, what's this last one you have? Live,
0: live in the that brain like or it. the gut? of a human being like you can either be like a cell living in the brain or a cell like living in the gut of a human i don't know if you saw that movie in the 90s of the guy that was in the little ship and they sent him inside the human body and he drove around like yeah though? So. Interesting.
2: Oh, probably the gut.
0: <laughs> live in the gut? All right. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I'm a nutritionist, so... <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> in, in, I would live in the second brain. The second
1: brain, <laughs> I was just going to say that,
2: yeah. So, <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mary Sheila. Before,
0: before we wrap oh, up, do you do anything yeah. online if people wanted to reach out, out to oh, you yeah. from Kuwait, especially? Because I mean, over here, we're still... I mean, it's still kind of a new field, and I'd say we're getting some of the mainstream education uh, versus the holistic approach. So do you do anything online or how can people get in touch with you? What are what are the best methods of getting in touch with you?
2: Yeah. So I am at occidentalnutrition.com and I do, I have um, a couple online things coming up. I have a, actually an Ayurvedic training. That's a three month training coming up in January, which I'm doing with my Ayurveda teacher. And so it's going to be amazing because she's really amazing too. Um, and I also have some online blood sugar classes coming up too, for people that are struggling with blood sugar and they want to go, okay, I need to change everything to get back on the path. So that's like a mostly for maybe people that are pre-diabetic and they're just ready to shift it out of there. And you can, one thing, just as if you want to stay connected to me on my website, I have a breakfast report, which I talk about the rhythm of the hormones and I break it all down. And I break down like, what's the best breakfast to honor that rhythm. So if you get, grab that, you'll be connected to me and then you'll hear all about all my stuff. So I do a lot of like online little webinars and I do cooking show on my Facebook channel, Occidental Nutrition, so. Oh, very cool! Oh, that's awesome! And that's I even great. have a YouTube. I have a YouTube channel that I'm just starting too. Look so. at you! Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh,
0: that is definitely. absolutely I am, amazing. I'm
2: keen
1: to learn more about that Ayurvedic uh, training. So So Yeah. Definitely yeah, be looking del- at yeah, it. Yeah. Also, yes. I had made a note here. Your bone bath recipe you were talking about. Is there a place we can find that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can send it to you and okay. um, maybe you can show Absolutely. Or something like that. Yep, okay. the show
1: notes. We can put it in there. That'd be great.
2: Perfect. Yay. It's thank awesome. you so
1: much. It was amazing. Thank, to thank you so much. I think we'll be seeing you again. I hope. I hope so. Thanks <laughs> you guys so much. All right. Have a great day, Mary Sheila. You too.